Welcome to the latest episode of Coppercast, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment in digital assets. I'm your host, Fadi Abualfa, Copper's Head of Research, and today our guest is Jeremy Eng, co-founder of Open Eden. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, Fadi. Thank you for inviting us. Nice to be here. Tell us about yourself a little bit and about Open Eden. Sure, absolutely. Um, pretty boring stuff. I actually spent 20 years um, on various trading floors of uh, investment banks like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Deutsche Bank. And three years ago, um, started Gemini Exchange in Asia. And that's where I met my co-founder and partner, Eugene Ng. And the two of us you know, built a team from about three people to about 50. Um, by the time we left, uh, about one and a half years ago to start Open Eden. Tell us a little bit more about Open Eden. What is it that you're doing there? Yeah, at Open Eden, you know, what we have um, built is a smart contract vault that offers investors access to U.S. Treasury bills. Um, it is a vault that allows investors to mint T-bill token uh, that is backed by a portfolio of uh, short-dated treasuries. And yeah, it, it is um, very easy to use uh, platform for qualified investors, such as accredited investors and professional investors. And yeah, so that's something that was launched about a month ago. And how's it going so far? I think you're at around 13 to 15 million right now in outstanding T-bills. Um, that is correct. So we've been having very good support. Uh, there's been very strong signups um, across the world. And we are also seeing our partners that want to participate in working with us um, to create their own products uh, that's based out of the, um, the token. And yeah, I, I think it's just the beginning. There's still a lot of work to be done, and but we are very humbled by the reception that we have seen. You're based out of Singapore, and that seems to be sort of a holy grail right now in the digital asset world, but also a very difficult place to set up shop. Tell us about the process that you went through, the difficulties, the challenges, but also the reception that you've received. Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, connecting between TradFi to DeFi and building the bridge, it is a simple concept, um, but it's extremely difficult to execute because there are so many different components where on the off-chain part, um, you need to have relationship with banking partners, custodian, prime brokers, um, and in terms of the uh, issuance of the token, um, you need to set up a uh, fund structure uh, and have all the proper um, guardrails, you know, private placement memorandum, uh, and, and the whole gambit that kind of comes with that. And, and alongside, you know, having a smart contract force that is able to connect the various points to, to bring in data um, in, in a way that is um, that is reliable. Uh, I think I think that that whole that whole setup you know, really involves a, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and a lot of testing as well. And, and that's why it took us um, more than six months you know, before the product is um, you know, coming to its current form. From a regulator perspective, were there any sort of questions, hiccups, challenges um, that sort of were barriers a little bit, but you were able to overcome them. Did you see any of that? Um, yes. So I think let's take a look at the token issuer. 
it is it is very important to to find a jurisdiction where the issuance of a you know digital token is um is permissible uh, based on regulatory framework and and we have consulted with um, councils um, you know to come to that conclusion um, so the token issuer is a BVI registered professional fund um, regulated by the BVI FSC and and that is the approach that we have taken tell us a little bit about your structure me and you spoke about this in the past and I found it quite interesting tell us how you've set up the whole structure of the business you've got different different elements to it and they're important for people to understand I think so they can know what they're getting into yeah I think in terms of structure um, there is a important component will be a token issuer um, you know being set up as a um, professional fund uh, and it has a, a good element of um, of traditional finance structuring behind it where you have fund administrator you know, producing a NAV report you have fund auditor that will produce an annual you know, audit of the fund and obviously your tax advisor and and legal um, legal counsels to kind of put put that whole thing together so it, it is important to to ensure that uh, investors are protected from that standpoint and, and that's why we choose instead of I think some other products out there are structured as a um, unsecured debt obligation um, you know we decided to choose a fund structure as a fund vehicle which is um, something that is a lot more um, common and um, and investors are more familiar with that and now the the paper assets where do they sit are they segregated how does that work how does that whole mechanic work yeah so so when the investors um, deposit you know obviously investors need to be properly KYC um, you know we ask for um, all the different kind of uh, proof of address proof of identity qualification as a professional investors and, and all those things and do proper screening wallet screening we use elliptic uh, as a blockchain compliance too to ensure that you know every single wallet that is um, to be pre-approved um, has gone through proper risk rating and screening. So assuming that investors have kind of gone through that and, and cleared with um, you know, the whole compliance onboarding process, then their address uh, will be whitelisted and they can then connect their whitelisted address to the board and start minting um, TPU tokens by depositing USDC. Now the USDC will then be moved from the vault into a on-off RAM service provider, uh, for example, Circle and Coinbase, and, and we only work with um, licensed and regulated uh, on-off RAM providers, or where the USDC will be converted into US dollar fiat, and the US dollar fiat will then be deposited into a qualified custodian account. Um, where where the US dollar um, can then be invested into a pool of um, treasury bills uh, by the manager and 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 the qualified custodian that um, that we are using right now is um, is, is a is a full licensed bank um, so it's fully regulated and based on banking regulation uh, clients asset has to be completely segregated from the bank's own balance sheet 
Um, so so that that is really how a normal fund structure would have worked as well in, in the traditional finance world. So the investors are protected and now they've got access to their T-bills. Tell us the use case there. Why is it more preferable to hold a T-bill token than going out and buying that treasury? What are those use cases and those unique parameters that Open Eden offers through the T-bill offering? Yeah, I think there are a couple of um, reasons uh, why people would choose to have the T-bill token. Um, so one of them is the, the ease of not needing to off-ramp your digital asset holding. Um, so as we all know, there is about 120 billion of uh, stable coin in circulation, and, and there's quite a large majority that are sitting in co-wallet, uh, especially in this environment where, where people are a lot more risk-averse into investing in digital asset. And, and they do have an option to either off-ramp those digital assets um, for those that actually have um, brokerage accounts. Um, but as we all know, um, you know, it could be quite difficult to get banking or brokerage accounts for some of the um, crypto corporate treasuries um, just since the collapse of, you know, the, the couple of um, crypto banks like SVB and Silvergate and whatnot. Um, so so for, for those set of corporate treasuries or investors, then um, this is a, a very good alternative for them to be able to deploy their, their, their stable coin uh, into a token that's backed by treasury bills. Now, for the other set of uh, investors, uh, it, it is it is more from a convenience standpoint that they do not have to off-ramp it. Uh, it takes a couple of days to off-ramp and then take a couple of days to settle. Um, and then they also need to manage their own T-bills position, rolling over when it expire. And also, if they're investing a smaller amount, it, it is more difficult to create a more diversified uh, pool of T-bills, right? Like ranging across different maturities. So through the TBU token, which essentially is giving you the interest of a short duration government bond fund, then you, you have someone that's really managing uh, the pool of a portfolio, you know, helping you to do all kinds of rebalancing that's needed. Um, so it, it, is, it is really a lot of convenience um, and also for certain investors that they would like to have their asset um, visible on chain uh, investing in direct T-bills uh, might be a bit more difficult to, to demonstrate <laughs> that they're holding on to those assets, but you know, owning a T-bill token will allow them to, to show the transparency of the asset that the uh, corporate treasury balance sheet is holding. Now, you've set all this up at a quite an opportune time with coupons paying out 5% and above. Um, how do you how do you manage that? What are your longest dated uh, T bills? What are the considerations that you use? Um, just how do you structure those things, and how do you pull the trigger on that? Yeah, so the underlying portfolio um, has a target duration of about uh, between three to six months. So currently, the portfolio is holding on to T bills ranging from three, four, five, six months of um, maturities. So a blended um, blended average maturity is about four months, and the blended uh, estimated yield to maturity of the portfolio is at about 5.2%. Um, so the token price, which essentially reflects the net asset value, 
um, of all the assets that's within this fund, um, you know, is is essentially where the returns is going to come from. So the, the the token price or the net asset value of the fund should theoretically uh, rise in value um, because underlying T bills are issued at a discount, and as it goes approaches maturity, then it should uh, converge to par. Obviously, assuming that the U.S. government, who is backing the treasuries, uh, do not go default. I mean, that's an interesting point. Right now, as far as real-world assets on the blockchain, I suspect that Open Eden's T-bill is probably the closest liability to the government's books, isn't it? Well, if you look at the whole portfolio that is um, backing the T-bill token, uh, the majority of it, above 95%, are invested in treasury bills. Uh, and the balance is liquidity reserve in either US dollar or USDC. So from that regard, yes, um, the majority of the exposure is on the underlying treasury bills. Now, you guys have a coupon that's being paid out from the, from the federal government. What happens when those interest rates drop and let's let's argue that the interest rates drop back to zero where would you guys stand how how is t-bill going to be used and can it perhaps be a replacement for a stable coin perhaps with less exposure to commercial banks for example how do you see that developing in the case of a zero percent environment yeah so to kind of answer the question um so the current yield on T-bills, short-dated T-bills is say north of 5%. Um, and it is um, it is very high you know, compared to the last 10, 15 years. So there's always this question, what happens when interest rates start falling, right? So if you go back to the traditional market, you look at money market funds, um, total outstanding AUM across the world is about $5.7 trillion. And if you look back, you know, before when interest rate was very low, say post the financial crisis in 2009, um, you know, back then the total AUM was still around 3 trillion. So I think you know, that kind of gives us a um, insight into the fact that even when interest rates are very low, um, there are still investors invested in money market products. And, and I think that's how we look at the T-bill token. Um, it, it is like a money market fund. Um, it's not exactly a money market fund because it does have certain duration risk, but the duration risk is kept quite low, given the fact that the maturities of the bond portfolio is, uh, is short between three to six months. So I think the way we look at it is that as long as investors um, are holding on to certain idle stable coin, which I think most investors, you know, whether across the different investment cycle, you know, they'll always have certain um, stable coin balances. It's a matter of, is it small or is it large? And the TBU token can potentially be a, um, a replacement for a non-yielding stable coin holding into a yielding uh, alternative. I think so too. And this is one of the things that has crossed my mind when the discussions around central bank digital currency comes up. 
it's perplexing to me why a central bank would actually want to go down the route of creating a central bank digital currency on the retail side. Perhaps on the wholesale side, I can understand that. So what happens if the central banks start deciding to tokenize their treasuries as well? Will there be a need for a CBDC? Or do you think that might might hinder your opportunity as well? Because we were talking about a digital asset that can be transferred, that is fractionalized. Um, where do you think things like that in the discussion uh, on CBDCs will go in relation to a token that can be fractionalized? I mean, to be honest, I, I, I'm not an expert in this um, particular discussion point. So I would rather refrain from giving my opinion than to come up with anything that doesn't make sense. It's a, it's a complicated topic, and I think it's going to continue gaining traction, but we'll, we'll find out what central banks are gearing up to do. I think we're, we're a long way ahead, away from that. Um, tell us about the next plans and Open Eden's uh, next sort of product. Um, so I think there's, there's one extension could be looking at tokenizing different kind of credit asset. Um, as risk aversion subside and people start to um, be willing to take more risk um, as the economy recovers and people gain a little bit more confidence, then we can potentially look at um, investment grade bond or high yield bonds or even certain private credit like uh, account receivable backed or collateralized loan and things like that. So that, that would be a potential natural progression um, so that, you know, for any fixed income investors, uh, most of them will create a portfolio that is a barbell approach, right? You know, across different credit spectrum. And there can be very safe risk-free product like treasuries. And then it can also be investment grade, high yield, and, and maybe certain private credit. So so I think that that is something that we are exploring. But I would say that there's still a lot to be done in the current product from a um, from a BD perspective, um, so that is probably something that we will maybe think about um, next year. For sure. So you've thought about collateralized loans. I'm I'm guessing you you're considering sort of how how T bill might actually fit potentially in repo markets, for example. Um, yeah. So so clearly, you know, we we one of the things that you know people can think about is um, having. T bill as uh, as as a collateral, um, that that is something that um, is a possibility. Uh, that that is something that would be an interesting use case. Um, so as long as as long as there are platform that they can go through proper KYC and um, you know having having you know qualified as a uh, qualified investors that can hold T bill token, you know. I think there are some some things that can be done, you know, on, on that front. We saw a lot from DeFi last year. You've entered the uh, middle ground of the TradFi and DeFi world. You've bridged the gap a little bit, a lot actually. Are there anything? Is there anything outside of the crypto markets that strikes your interest as being very innovative and something that only crypto markets can sort of come up with? 
Yeah, I mean, there has been so much innovation um, you know, from NFT to gaming to now real world asset. Um, but I think it, it seems like the real world asset tokenization is, is something that people can find a lot more substance in it. And also from a you perspective, it is also something that you know people can have a better grasp in terms of its sustainability because there is already a traditional finance yield market uh, as a reference that's been going on for you know hundreds of years right in, in, in the debt capital market so i would expect to see there are a lot more um, projects that will capitalize on, on this um, to bring in more um, traditional finance capital um, in the DeFi space um, but leveraging on real world asset um, whether it's a real estate or, or asset-backed securities, asset-backed loans, or even capital market securities. I think that is, um, that, that's probably the trend that we're going to continue to see. You know, for anything else, uh, just given the bear market right now, uh, any yield farming uh, type of uh, product, I, I think um, investors are probably aware that the, the, the risk return might not look as attractive uh, as the headline yield. Um, portray so so it, it probably would still struggle a little bit um, and that's why i think um, we're seeing more and more real asset projects coming on on board yeah it's really interesting what's going on and you know we're inching forward as an industry as an ecosystem and open eden is one of the first to really showcase that there is the ability to build solid structures to protect investors and be able to access the unique features of the digital asset world. Are there any other products that you like in the space today? Are there anything, is there anything that is, that is uh, striking you as interesting, but perhaps might face some challenges in the future? Yeah, I think we have seen projects that are built to help the Web3 communities um, to do fundraising uh, from a debt capital market standpoint. I think that um, the idea itself is very meaningful because a lot of Web3 uh, companies have difficulty assessing traditional uh, financing and, and also for lack of understanding from the traditional investors about Web3 companies. So I've seen products that are building, um, projects that are building platform that can connect borrowers and lenders in the same space that have a better understanding of each other and, and are willing to, at least from the lending standpoint, they are more willing to take on certain amount of risk. Uh, and obviously, you know, if there's proper um, framework in terms of collateralization and whatnot, especially post, um, you know, Genesis, Three Arrows, uh, you know, people would like to see that. I think I think those projects um, would be very meaningful to help to grow the Web3 community. Now, is it going to be easy? Is 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 not um, just because of risk aversion. Um, so so this will take time, as the as the our industry you know gain our footing back and you know, gain back more confidence in terms of promoting real revenue case um, and and also at the same time provide uh, proper transparency. Uh, I think eventually, you know, it, it will become something that is important for the ecosystem to have a debt capital marketplace um, for the Web3 uh, companies and projects. Do you think that 
we're going to see more projects spin out that will finally challenge the current financial market infrastructure where we've got custodians and sub-custodians and CSDs and international CSDs and brokers and exchanges and clearinghouses and sort of moral hazard in these clearinghouses. Do you think that the Web3 community through the use of smart contracts will be able to challenge the current infrastructure service providers or will it be a complement to them? Um, I think there's no hard and fast rule, um, but one thing I am very optimistic and positive that is that the blockchain technology, you know, including smart contract utilization, will be utilized to enhance greater efficiency and greater transparency from a settlement and clearing standpoint. Now, is it going to be is it going to be a new challenger from a a Web three or blockchain company? Uh, I'm not entirely sure because I think it can be a combination of partnership between a traditional finance, uh, a existing player, working with a blockchain company or technology service providers to to kind of come up with new technology to enhance the way the current financial system is working, and that's why we do see a lot of projects, um, whether it's in Hong Kong or Singapore or in the US, that that has seen certain proof of concept that's being built, um, whether it's a tokenization of, of green bonds in Hong Kong or, or Project Guardian here in Singapore, you know, we, we, we can see that there is beginning to have certain collaboration. Um, and, and I believe the financial giants, they are not, they're not sleeping. They're not resting on their laurels. You know, they're clearly also exploring you know, in ways to, to make everything a lot more efficient and transparent. So I think, I think it's, it's going to help on you know, both sides. It, it's not, it's not going to be the, the, the new coming to take over the old, but I think it's a combination of the old trying to innovate and working together with the new in some shape of a form of partnership. I thought Project Guardian was quite interesting and the fact that you had major banks begin to explore and fork Web3 protocols. I think they forked Uniswap, I think they forked Aave, and they, I think they made some modified version of it to work. I find that very interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it, it is. Um, there's a lot of focus, clearly. Um, there is a lot of energy and tension um, put into this tokenization effort. So I think that is something that um, that we should be very happy about that there are you know major focus you know, in this aspect. So it could it could only it could only mean that the blockchain technology or smart contract technology is it is being uh, affirmed of its real use case in this world. You know what I find really interesting though I haven't seen I'm not sure if you have but I haven't seen any fork of the original beating the original fork the the original always seems to be working a lot better and so my question would be can can traditional finance come in fork something that cryptos come up with and make a better version of it i think you know just looking at them why people fork an existing protocol is because that protocol must have demonstrated uh, a history of 
reliability and um, and efficiency. So so I think forking um, the an existing protocol is is forms a very base framework that is going to work as what we think it should, and then you just kind of build on top of that, you know, other composability to kind of enhance uh, what what it already gives you on the fundamental basis. So I would imagine that um, that it could only get better. I hope it can get better, <laughs> and, and but we'll see. I mean, from a tokenization perspective, the, the actual technical tokenization wasn't the hard part for you, I imagine. It's that whole legal structure behind it. Is that where, where sort of traditional financial players will have maybe a leg up on actually being able to execute alongside regulators the the parameters that need to be set rather than the technology itself um for real asset tokenization yes because it involves a traditional asset traditional finance asset so you you would need people that has a good experience and understanding of how the traditional finance will work uh, which is clearly a lot more complex um, from a regulatory, legal, compliance um, framework point of view. So we should expect to see future um, RWA projects to be equipped with people that has got good TradFi experience. I think that is very important. Now, the technology part um, clearly is, uh, is, is critical too, but like you said, um, there are a lot of existing protocol that you can fork or you can base on. Um, for example, you know, EIP four six two six is is a good uh, protocol for tokenized vault that has been battle tested um, to to a certain extent. And so now you have to kind of put the two together with the technology and also you know all all, all the different pieces that relates to the traditional finance world in order to kind of come up with a product that can really demonstrate um, a lot of well thought out process, risk and control and security um, that not only protects um, investors' interests, uh, but also really demonstrate the efficiency of bringing it on chain. Um, I think that, that that is a challenge, but that's not something that is uh, insurmountable with the right a team and right quality of people. I think it's going to be quite a challenge, in my opinion. That's my that's my viewpoint because maybe I, I I've got sort of a, this this picture in my head that there's a digital asset team at some traditional bank and they want to start forking protocols and tokenizing assets, and then you've got someone from every little department sitting around a board boardroom and starting to put their little input oh we need this feature and we need that feature and it just ends up being a microsoft windows 98 uh, when startups in the blockchain space are a lot more apple even though our user experience is abysmal but we're get we're getting there but that's that's kind of how i see the potential of of these newer players coming in and trying to make sense of everything because they're going to I, I have the feeling that they're going 
they're not going to start from scratch, but they're going to say, what are all the requirements today, even though some of those requirements might not be necessary because of the unique feature sets of the of digital assets. But we'll see about that. Yeah, I, I know the pace is not going to be as fast as what we expect. Um, just you know, any large organization um, will, will clearly take a long time to even come up with a new project, um, let alone it is in the digital asset space, which is obviously highly, highly watched over, for <laughs> lack of a better word. From an onboarding perspective for you, excluding sort of the KYC AML procedures, let's say you've got client potential clients lined up that are clean as a whistle. What are some of their fears, challenges, and potential objections to participating in the digital asset space? Um, I w- well, to be very honest, you know, if even investors are, are not even in the digital asset space to begin with, um, it, it, is, it is less likely that they will be interested in any real-world asset um, tokenized product because they will just kind of stick with um, what they have in the their own private banking account or their brokerage account. So we're now sort of relying on potentially another crypto cycle to start maybe gaining some new interest and in activity. Yeah, which I believe so, right? You know, currently, yes, the, um, the total market cap of, you know, crypto is, is, is a shade of what it used to be in, in, in DeFi summer. Uh, but it's a process. Um, we go through cycles, and as more projects are being built, you know, on on the blockchain world that have proven to have good use cases, then it will attract you know more users to come in. And as 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 the industry demonstrate that there's greater transparency or efficiency to be using blockchain, uh, and also greater investor protection, then it will gather more confidence from for people to, to slowly transition part of the assets from TreFi into, into the crypto space. And I think you know, that's, that's when the overall market will grow and then the overall amount of um, stable coin will also grow. And, and that will benefit the whole system, right? Whether is it the existing products that are out there, exchanges, and, and also tokenize a real asset. So that, that is what, really what we are seeing is that I think the industry itself needs to prove that the technology is um, creating a better world and creating a, a more efficient world. You know, a lot of these proof of concepts that have been executed and finished, they all come out with very, very positive um, viewpoints on the greater efficiency and the investor protection that digital assets and blockchain can provide. Yet. We don't hear much after these proof of concepts finish. What is the blocker there? We were clearly seeing large organizations prove that indeed it is a much better system, but beyond that, it's not growing. And how are we going to prove that? What is it that we need to do as, a, as, a, as an ecosystem, as service providers in this space what is our role here to help these other organizations move past the proof of concept stage? I think, um, at least in my view, is there's still a lot of a stigma from a perception standpoint of, of this industry. And 
And it, it is something that I think the industry um, has to take some responsibility, just given what happened over the course of the last one year, right? From Luna to Genesis, you know, to FTX. And, and, and it has definitely set back the industry by at least a good two to three years. Um, but just like all, all new emerging technology, um, there will always be bumps along the road. Um, there'll, there'll be good players. And unfortunately, there are also bad players. So I think what, what is really needed is to have adults in the room. I think that that's really what we talk about a lot, right? Um, instead of just people that has got no concept of risk management or control uh, and integrity, um, running projects that eventually fail. Um, and, and I think the industry is, is definitely a lot more selective now in terms of the people that they want to let in to build projects and people are also a lot sharper in identifying certain projects that doesn't look as credible as it should be and avoid it. So before you start to flourish and, and start to create a you know, big problem. So it will take time. It will take time to heal. Uh, it will take time to, 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 to rectify this damage in, uh, in, in the reputation of the whole industry. Uh, but eventually, you know, it will, it will grow because the technology is, uh, has proven uh, a lot of these use cases, not in every single aspect, but there are aspects that has uh, proven. So just like the internet has gone through an internet bubble in 99, 2000, uh, where there are just all kinds of dot-coms that should not make sense and, and should not be publicly listed, but they are, and then it failed and leading to the, the tech bubble that we saw. But, but from there onwards, internet didn't just die. Um, the real strong players like your Amazon of the world, you know, come back and emerge to be much stronger. Um, so we, we're now looking for who is going to be the next Amazon, right? who's going to be the next Google. You know, you, you mentioned FTX and Genesis and the, there was a lot more of them, right? There was BlockFi and Voyager and Three Hours Capital. There's a lot of them. A lot of, a lot of things happened wrong there. But the reality is, is that crypto was designed for people to custody their assets and remove the counterparty risk. So we've got to say that these failures came on the back of gambling more than the technology itself, which was supposed to save people from this problem. Okay, we've got that from one side. And then from the other side, we've got the regulators as well. You could see nobody lost any money in FTX Japan, from what I understand, but everyone else lost their money. So we need the conversation, it seems, from both sides. It's not, it's not only one side, it's both sides. And I mean, as Copper, we, we're seeing how all of these large exchanges are engaging with us to integrate with our Clearloop um, product which removes that counterparty risk. And so these exchanges are understanding, actually, if we want to grow this, this industry, if we want maturity, we need to be, we need to allow institutional investors the right infrastructure. So it's a bit of, I, I find the, 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 the debacle that we saw in the last year or two, not crypto related, but not, the te not technology related. Yeah, it is not. Um, some of it could be, if you look at 
Luna, for example, how how the algorithm stablecoin is being constructed. So that that is part sure. of the construct. But but you're right in terms of the the lenders failing. Um, a lot of it is just risk management, and and, and some of them is just integrity related issues. Um, I'm a huge fan of Clearloop. Uh, and I think that is really the way to go because that is also how the traditional finance will work as well, where you have centralized tiering settlement agent, you know, to to properly ring fence and custodize uh, collaterals, right? So I, I think that that is a very good solution, uh, especially if investors need to work, still work with centralized exchanges. I think that is one solution. Um, the other solution will be products that should be offered in a self-custodial format so that there's no central point of um, failure from that perspective. Um, and a lot of these tokenized products, you know, Open Eden, uh, TVU token, for example, um, is all self-custody by uh, every single investor in their own wallet. And then they can they can feel safe, right? It's, uh, it's, it's their own private key that they need to protect and, and not be dependent uh, of another um, custodian to to kind of help that help it for them. Right. I mean, that's that's also partially because it is also classified as a security, isn't it? Or would be classified as a security, seeing as it returns a coupon. I I don't think. I mean, the self custodial uh, concept is um is mm. independent of you know what the token is. Um, sure. As long as long as as long as people are. Holding on to their own token in their own wallet, you know that that removes one layer of counterparty risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if that's one structure that people opt for and they can manage their private keys, hats off to them. I hope. I hope. I wish most retail people would learn that. It's it's a few key words. Learn yeah. them. Yeah. Memorize them. Yours. For large, but for large institutional investors, then obviously a solution with copper would um, would, would clearly be one of the options that they should consider. Just a different model, um, having a custodian that might help you there with the different technologies. No, there's no one better than the other. They're just there's a mix and match to each client's uh, needs. Ultimately, isn't there? Yeah, correct, and that's why you know. Different people need different type of solutions, and, and that's why there's always solutions out there. And that's why there's Apple, and that is still the, the IBM compatible. <laughs> sure, exactly. And there's still people using IBM. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> my 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 other question would be: now that you brought Apple, is sort of the user experience that the crypto world faces. Do you think? Where do you think we can do better? And can we match the ease and use that everyone's become accustomed to? Things like Apple Pay, for example, double click on the side of your phone, tap to go, paid, done. Do you think we can reach that stage as in crypto? I don't see why it cannot if it is from a user interface standpoint. Um, there are a lot of DEXs out there um, that are still built on um, subpar user interface and I believe that you know if you have a group of designers that are as the same quality as the designers in Apple you know, you'll be able to create a much better user interface um, it, it is a matter of whether is that a focus 
I think the original focus is the functionality, is to build a product that serves this function. So I think that that phase, um, we've, we've gone past that already. So the next phase is, okay, how can we make it a lot more slicker and easier to navigate um, for a for, for a you know, normal user, right? Um, as the way that they're used to in, in the traditional finance space. Uh, I've also seen companies now starting creating creating credit cards that you can start spending your crypto uh, with a tap on the phone, just like how you're spending US dollar or fiat. So I think it, it's slowly moving along. Um, there's just so much that can be done. And, and just to remind ourselves, our industry is, is still less than 15 years old. So it's still, it's still very young and there's still a lot uh, you know, that can happen. You look at the internet started in the, in the 90s. So it took a while before before things start to get less clunky as well. For sure. I mean, look at the internet speeds in the beginning. Look at the internet speeds today. Look at our our devices, our screens. Who is, who's going to watch um, movies if our screen resolution was still 800 by 600 pixels? It wouldn't, not, none of that would have happened. So we do have a long way to go. But in terms of the, which, but the next step is, how do we solve the scaling solution? How do we solve the interoperability? Are those things that you guys have thought about at all? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we clearly are constantly um, enhancing, upgrading our infrastructure um, for faster transaction speed, greater transparency. Um, I think transparency is actually um, very important and, and that's why we are right now working with Chainlink um, in order to integrate fully so that they will be able to provide a daily proof of reserve that that pulls out all the off-chain data uh, along with the on-chain data and produce a, a report that uh, investors can, can look at on a daily basis and feel comfortable that um, all the assets that's supposed to be backing the token is being verified by an independent uh, uh, provider. Jeremy, I think on that note, we should end this podcast. Transparency, clear reporting, and know where your assets are. And ultimately, your key is your assets, isn't it? Absolutely. Jeremy, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Fadi. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. As always, we appreciate you tuning into Coppercasts. Follow me for regular updates on cryptocurrency macro research, digital assets, and distributed financial market infrastructure. My handle is at Fadi Abualfa. Thank you to my producer, Kate Light, for continued support. And if you would want to get in touch, email us at marketing at copper.co or find us on Twitter at copperhq. This podcast has been prepared for informational purposes only without regard to any individual investment objectives, financial situation, or means, and Copper is not soliciting any action based upon it. This podcast is not to be construed as a recommendation or an offer to buy or sell any security, financial product, instrument, or to participate in any particular trading strategy. Certain transactions, including those in digital assets, give rise to substantial risk and are not suitable for all investors. The value of digital assets may go down and your capital and assets may be at risk.